here at First Baptist Church as we anticipate the greatest day in history, which is Resurrection Sunday. We're tracing the final week of Jesus' life. Each Sunday we're going from one day to the next day. Because maybe you don't know, but a major portion of the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are devoted to just the last week of Jesus' life. Because it's um, significant out of proportion to anything else. And so um, we started a couple of weeks ago with what we know as Palm Sunday and represented by the picture over here. And by the way, these pictures are, 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 were originally wood carvings made by Gustave Doré um, for a Bible, um, uh, an illustrated Bible. They're, they're pretty stunning. So we began with Palm Sunday. That's when Jesus came into Jerusalem and uh, to the cheers of the crowds. But he cried as he got there because he recognized what was about to happen, even though the people thought they were proclaiming him as their Messiah King. He knew what was about to come. Then I called it last week Melancholy Monday because this was the day in which Jesus faced a lot of tough things. There was a fig tree representing the people of Israel that he said, you are like, the people of Israel are like this fig tree. You give the appearance of godliness, but in fact, you're not bearing fruit. Then he came into the temple and he cleaned house. They had turned the temple into a place of commerce, a place of business, a place of politics, a place in which the Gentiles, which were invited there as well, were not really welcomed. And Jesus said, no, this is not what the Father intended. So he cleaned the temple. And then he spoke to people about what it meant to believe in him. And that I called Melancholy Monday. Now today we're going to come to Tuesday, and I called Tuesday Testy Tuesday. And I think you'll see why very easily. But speaking of tests, I think every one of us in this place, every one of us have taken tests. Tests are numerous. We have achievement tests and aptitude tests and personality tests and driver's tests and IQ tests. We undergo medical tests and personality tests and placement tests and proficiency tests and skills tests. And on and on we go. All of us are subject to tests. That's kind of a part of life. Sometimes uh, tests are trick tests. I got tricked by this one. Tap elephant, and I went on my computer and pushed the E, L, E, and then I realized you're, of course, supposed to tap the one on the top where it says elephant. A trick test. There are lots of these. How many squares are in this picture? I tried it out, and I think, I don't know what I came up with, like 12 or so. Well, the correct answer is 40, but I couldn't even come close to 40 until I saw the answer, then I realized what was going on. And so um, they're, they're trick tests, and we're going to see some trick tests today. But today we're going to see, um, this one I say, I usually don't eat gluten, but when I do, I get testy. So we're going to see people today who probably ate a lot of gluten because they are going to be extremely testy. We're going to have people today, as Jesus goes into the temple on T Testy Tuesday, who are going to give him some of the most difficult tests that you can imagine. They're trick tests, most of them, but not all of them. And Jesus is going to answer these tests with remarkable uh, brilliance. He's going to get an A+. Plus. And then he's going to turn the tables. The one who is tested is going to be the tester. And he's going to give now the religious leaders of Israel some tests. And they're going to get an F-. minus. And uh, we'll see what happens on Testy Tuesday. 
Now this is going to take many chapters in the New Testament, so you're going to see, you'll have to watch the passages of Scripture as I combine the four Gospels to try to uh, encapsulate what happened on this testy Tuesday. It's going to begin with the first test, by which the, the religious leaders are going to test Jesus' credentials. What, what right have you to cleanse the temple? What right have you to speak like you do? You're a peasant. You've never been to school. You don't have a doctorate degree. Shut up. That's what they tried to do to him. We'll see what he does with that test. And then, they, then as, after they give him that test, speaking about his, his authority, he then delivers a bunch of stories or parables to them. But these are not cryptic parables that you sometimes wonder what he's talking about. They're very, very clear. And the ones to whom he gave these parables, they saw exactly what he was talking about. They knew that these stories were about them. And were they angry? And so they now mount th uh, three tests. The first test is they test him about how should they pay taxes to Rome. And that's a particularly difficult test. It's, it's difficult in our society, too. How many of us love to pay our taxes? Well, not too many. Then he's, they're going to test him with a hypothetical test about the resurrection. That's going to be interesting. And then they're going to ask him a test about what is the greatest commandment. Now, that's a legitimate test, and he is going to notice the legitimacy of it. After those three tests, he's going to give them a test of his own, a very significant test that if you pass this test, you would know perfectly who Jesus is. They fail this one in a horrible way. And then after that test, what Jesus is going to do is he's now going to give what is called the woes to the Pharisees. He's going to encapsulate in one chapter of the scriptures, Matthew 23, the, 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 the errors of the religious leaders of his society in his day. And then he's going to end by, as he goes out of town on this testy Tuesday, he looks over the city of Jerusalem and its magnificent temple. His disciples ask, what's going to happen in the future? And he's going to pull from Daniel and tell us about what's going to be told to us later in Revelation. And then we get what's called the Olivet Discourse. That's Jesus telling us about what the future holds. That's two chapters in the book of Matthew. So welcome to Testy Tuesday. Testy Tuesday begins with a test. Jesus, now remember, he's in the temple. He, he probably spent the night in Bethany. That's on a, on a hillside with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, probably in their home. He went down this little walk down into the valley, less than two miles, and up into the city of Jerusalem. He's now in the temple. The temple is full because it's Passover time. The temple is full of people, but also religious leaders. The religious leaders, of course, are Pharisees. They are the ones in charge of the synagogues and the Sadducees. They're in charge of the temple. So they're there. And the day before, Jesus has come in there and he's turned over the tables. And he's condemned them from, for having turned his father's house, that's what he called it, into a place of robbers. And they say, what authority do you have to do this? Let's see what he says. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? They discussed it among themselves. Oops, I missed one. Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. 
John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say John's baptism was from heaven, he will ask us, why did you not believe in John? But if we say John's baptism was from men, we can't do that because the people will rebel against us because they think John was a prophet. So what are they going to do? Well, this is what they did. So they answered Jesus. We don't know. Then Jesus said, oh, good. Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. That's his answer. Um, he's not going to play their game. He's going to beat them at the game. Um, and you, you probably have heard the illustration before. There was a, a, a man who went up to a, a Jewish rabbi and he asked, Rabbi, he said, why, why do Jews always answer a question with a question? And the rabbi answered, do we? Um, there's a book written. The book is entitled, Jesus is the Question, subtitled, The 307 Questions Jesus Asked and the Three He Answered. I don't know that those numbers are exactly accurate. I don't think they are, actually, but it makes the point. Jesus did not often answer questions. He was constantly asked questions, and he very frequently responded to a question with a question, like he did here. But he doesn't often answer questions. Why? Well, as you know, if you're a school teacher, and I was for a little while, many of the questions people ask are not sincere. <laughs> sometimes people ask questions to try to put you on the spot to see, to, sometimes people ask questions to just to show how smart they are and how dumb you are as the teacher. I, you know, you've had all of these things happen to you if you're a teacher. And sometimes you know that so, the best way to answer a question, like Socrates, of course, told us many, many years ago, is to answer a question with a question. And in this case, they knew they were trapped, and so they tried to weasel their way out of it by not answering Jesus' question. He said, okay, fair game. I'm not going to answer yours as well. Jesus was a genius, and we see his genius at work here. He answers an accusatory question with a question of his own. That's where he starts. And then he then delivers, he launches into a series of, a, of about four very pointed parables. Now, many of the parables aren't this pointed. You don't really know exactly what they're talking about. These, it is crystal clear what he is talking about. I'll just give you a sampling. What do you think, Jesus said? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go to work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. So Jesus is asking a question again. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Now remember who he's talking to, the religious leaders. I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Whoa, that's pretty pointed. You can't miss the point. This one, he gets right to the point. 
He said, you're the ones like that. Oh, we will follow you, God, wherever you want. And they never followed God. But these, the prostitutes and the tax collectors who are not known for their godliness, God said to them, follow me. And they said, oh, no, we're not. We're going to do what we want. But then they changed their mind and they followed God. He said, you religious people are like the group that made professions of following God, but you didn't really do it at all. At the end of these parables, this is what we read. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Now, if Jesus had told these parables to you, you could do several things. One you could say is, you got me, you're right, I'm wrong. That's what he had hoped, but that's not what they did. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that Jesus was a prophet. So here, once again, they did the exact wrong thing in every possible way. First, they're chickens. They, they're absolute chickens because they won't, they're not leaders. They're chickens because they really are reading the public opinion polls, and they're going to respond as the polls dictate to them. So they're a bunch of chickens, for one. And second, when Jesus put his finger on their sin, rather than repent and say, you're right, I have sinned, they turned around and decided they're going to kill the person who showed their wrong. That's what they did. They're not done yet. The day is just beginning. What they did next is they decided they're going to ask him the, the, the terrible, terribly difficult question. A question that uh, is uh, for which there is no right answer. Now, you've probably been in such positions. If you haven't, you will be at some point. Um, have you ever been put in the spot? You've been asked a question in a group, and however you answer the question, you lose. There will be people in the room who will like your answer, and there are other people in the room who will hate your guts because of your answer. There are Many of these questions today in our massively polarized uh, society, many of them, you, if you say one word, you're condemned by probably 50% of the people. That's our world. Well, look at what they're going to do to Jesus here. This is a killer. The question is about taxation. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees. Stop there. The Pharisees are the Jewish leaders of the synagogues who hate the Romans' guts. And they're telling their people in the synagogues, if there's any way you can weasel out of your taxes, don't pay your taxes because that money's going to Rome. We hate Rome. We don't want to be part of this Roman society. Don't pay your taxes. Their worst enemies in the whole country are a group of people called Herodians. You know who they are? Herodians are Jewish people who work for Herod. And you know what makes it worse? They're the ones, these are Jews. Jews collecting money from fellow Jews to send to Rome. Now these two, the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the Herodians, they will never be in the same room together because they hate each other's guts. They're the exact polar opposites, way worse than progressives and conservatives in our society today. Way worse. They want to kill each other. I hope people don't want to kill us in, in this country. One says, don't pay. The other says, pay. 
Now, if you went with the Herodians and, and paid your taxes, and you, you say, I'm going to side with the Herodians. We should pay our taxes. The Pharisees will immediately say, this man is evil. He's not from God. If, on the other hand, Jesus said, don't pay your taxes, the Herodians will go immediately to the Roman government and have Jesus arrested and executed. These are the strangest bedfellows in the world, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so these two groups come to Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I mean, this just is dripping with flattery. This is garbage. Listen. Oh, teacher. We know you're a man of integrity. That is such baloney. No, they don't. They hate his guts. But they, they're going to use it. Oh, you aren't swayed by men. You know, pay, pay no attention to who they are. It's just dripping now. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. This is just garbage. All flattery. They don't believe a word of this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? That's the question. He's caught. There are many, in our society, there are many, many times today, because I've been in these situations, you're caught. What are you going to do? Some people are going to applaud, and another group is going to want to kill you, literally, probably in this culture. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew their hypocrisy. He saw right through them. He knew it was a trick question. So what's he going to do? First of all, he acknowledges what they're up to. You're trying to trap me. I know it. Any of you have a quarter? Anyone have a quarter here today? Yeah, of course. The denarius was sort of like the equivalent of our quarter. Can I look at it? They brought the coin and he asked them, uh, whose portrait is this? And, and, and whose inscription is on this? Emperor Tiberius. They said, Caesar's. Jesus said, well, why don't you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and you give to God what belongs to God? That guy weaseled out of it. How did he do it? They were amazed at him. So there's the first question. How in the world do you handle a trick question? How do you handle it when people come to you and they, they're, they're, they're trying to trick you? Sometimes there's no right answer. I don't know how Jesus did it. He was brilliant, of course. But they're not done. This one's even interesting, more interesting. To whom is one married in heaven? <laughs> this is what I call good luck on your test. Own it. Jesus owned it. Watch him own this baby. It's incredible. That same day, the Sadducees, they're the keepers of the temple. They're the rich and famous of Israel. Now, these people keep the temple. They became filthy rich because of all the money they got from the temple, but they don't even believe in, in a, they, they're deists. They believe there's a God, but the God does not act in this world. They do not believe in the afterlife. They do not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in most of the Old Testament scriptures, only the five books of Moses. So they were people who followed the laws, but they didn't, um, they didn't acknowledge any miracles, anything supernatural. They were basically what we would today call deists. They don't believe in the resurrection. They came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us, and of course Moses is, wrote the first five books of the Bible. 
Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. That's called leveret marriage. It was one of their customs. It's talked to us in the, in the book of Deuteronomy. It's told to us. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right down to the seventh. And this is like the hypothetical question. Finally the woman died. Now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? But there's their question. So now, here the guy's married to seven women, so which one gets to be his wife in heaven? Now remember, these people don't even believe in heaven, and they don't believe in a resurrection. So what's Jesus going to do with this one? Here's the question. Let's see what he does. Jesus replied, you are in error. Can you imagine? He's talking to the most rich, famous, well-educated people in his whole society, and he's a peasant from Galilee. You are in error. You do not know the scriptures. Wait a minute. These people have doctorates in the scriptures, and Jesus has never been to any formal theological training. You do not know the scriptures, and you do not know God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. There is no marriage in heaven. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead that you do not believe in, have you not read what God said to you? And now he's going to quote from the books of the Bible that they do acknowledge. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say, I was the God. He said, I am the God. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. He's alive and well, and we will spend eternity with him. He ripped them to shreds. And how did they respond? We don't know how they responded, but we know how the crowds responded when they saw it. They go, he just put them in their place. Can you believe it? That peasant, that 33-year-old peasant from Galilee, just put them in their place. That's incredible. Well, another test. This test, I called the don't study for the test. Didn't study at all. Still got 90% right. That's what's going to happen here. Now they're going to ask him the question, what's the greatest commandment? Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, that'd be like a PhD or a, a, a doctorate of theology, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, Jesus knew, and so did they, that there were two great commandments from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now you see, Jesus was asked a straightforward question. He knew that this was not asked to try to trick him. And so he gave an answer, and when you put the other Gospels together, the, the man to whom Jesus, who asked this question of Jesus he responded with the, the right answer, and Jesus said, you know, you get it right, sir. That's a good answer. If you do that, you know, you're pretty close to the kingdom of heaven. 
So here was now a question that was a legitimate question with proper motives, and Jesus simply answered the question and commended the person for asking it. But now Jesus is going to ask a question of his own. I call this one, fail the test. Tell mom everyone else failed it too. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. The question now he's going to ask is, he's going to take a passage of scripture from Psalm 110. A really tricky question. The 110th Psalm is written by David. And Jesus is going to make an incredible point. Here's now Jesus giving a test. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ or the Messiah? Whose son is he? He's the son of David, they replied. And everyone knew that. The Messiah would be the son who would be related to King David. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, calls his son Lord? For David says, this is 110th Psalm, The Lord said to my Lord, the Lord, that's God, said to my Lord, David has said, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he also be David's son? So Jesus is now going to the scriptures that the Pharisees completely believed in that came from the Holy Spirit. And he said, don't you read what it said? David, who is the one who is the father of the Messiah, speaks of the Messiah as his Lord. Who then is the Messiah? The Messiah must be the son of David and the son of God. And by the way, you're looking at him. I am the son of David and I'm the son of God. What's the response? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. That's the end. He, he had them caught. He said, your own scriptures made this crystal clear that the Messiah would be both human and divine, both. But are you willing to acknowledge it? And the one standing before you right now is that person. Well, so this is what it feels like to go full beast on full beast mode on a test. Because now Jesus is going to launch into what's called the woes to the Pharisees. It is a stunning passage of scripture. Um, we could go over this for, for many, 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 many hours, actually. And of course, we won't. While the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for a show they make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. And then Jesus is going to issue a whole series of woes. He's going to point out, can you imagine, this would get anyone killed pretty easily. It's not a surprise that they killed him within a few days now. He says, you religious leaders, this is what you're like. You, you're not servant leaders, you are serve me leaders. 
You take your position of leadership and you see that as an opportunity for people to serve you. You're supposed to be, by God's, by God's grace, you're supposed to be people who stand at the door of God's temple and say, come in all you sinners, you're welcome. But you're standing at the doors and you're bouncing people out like a bouncer at a bar. You're supposed to be people who are praying for others and instead you're not praying for people, you're praying on them. You are supposed to be preaching the good news about God. And in fact, what you're doing by making converts to your own false way of life, you're actually evangelists for hell. You've come up with all these clever ways by which you can twist the truth by using holy things like the altar of God. You're supposed to be people who, when you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, you mean no. You're people who, you, you're, you're scrupulous in your tithing, but you have neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness to God. You made your unminers, and you clean the outside of your life, making everyone think you're good outside, but inside you're full of evil. You're like whitewashed tombs. That when you go outside the tomb, it looks beautiful and clean and white, but inside there's deadness. And you build monuments for the prophets, and you forget you're the very people who killed those prophets. How dare you? It's like today. There are many, many churches in this town and all over our country who take the names of Luther and Wesley and all kinds of others who those people would probably roll over in their grave if they saw what's done in their names today, just like back then. Whoa. Here's how he ends. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hand gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. That's how he ends his woes. He's not mad. He's very, very sad. Well, the day's not over. Because there now he's in the temple and all these people are bringing, because they're coming for the Passover and they're bringing their large sums of money to give to God. And there's this simple widow. He looked up and Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury and he also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Who's the biggest giver? You'd probably be surprised. Well, he ends now as he leaves the temple and goes back to Bethany up on the hillside to spend the night. And as he's walking up the hillside, he looks over the city of Jerusalem and he gives what's known as the Olivet Discourse. Olivet, olives, the Mount of Olives. He's now going to launch into what's going to happen in the future. He quotes a lot from Daniel. And he anticipates what's going to be said in the book of Revelation. This is, this is Jesus' statement about the future. As Jesus left the temple and was walking away, when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. 
If you look at Jesus' Olivet Discourse, the main thing he's going to talk about is the susceptibility of his followers to be deceived. That's the main thing. And this is how he's going to end it. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And the day is over. So this is Jesus' test. Actually, we're the ones who are being given the test. The first test that he would ask us is, um, by what authority did he do this? Jesus' authority was the authority of who he was as the fully God, fully human being. He delivers the parables which basically encourage the people who hear them to repent and to trust in the Savior and to bear fruit. Are we doing it? When he's asked about the, uh, the, the money, paying taxes, he said, we have to live in two worlds. Yes, we pay taxes to Rome, but we also recognize the superiority of our allegiance to God. We don't play games with the scriptures like the Sadducees did, but we do recognize the supremacy of loving God and loving our fellow human beings. Then he asked, he said, who am I? He says, I'm both the son of God and the son of David. He exposed their hypocrisy like he might do to us. He showed what, the, uh, what a real steward of God's resources looked like. And then he painted the picture of the future, a picture where he encourages us to be discerning because we're very susceptible to deception and to watch for his return. This is Testy Tuesday. Let's pray. Father, may your Holy Spirit now test our hearts. May there be some facet of this day that your Holy Spirit brings to us individually to remind us of a test we need to take. I pray when you give us these tests, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would give us right hearts. Not like some of the hearts we saw in the scriptures, but soft hearts open hearts, willing to see our sin hearts. And then that we would respond to you with faith, trust, obedience, and fruit. We can't pull that off on our own. We need your help, and we ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.